Thank you, Veda. We love you and appreciate that so very much. And what a wonderful reminder to us today of the love and the care of Jesus for our hearts and our souls. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians, the second chapter. Next Sunday, I will not be here. Matt Hollingsworth is going to be preaching for you. And so you're guaranteed a a powerful sermon next Sunday morning on the 25th. Uh, I'll be preaching from the incredible passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Let your mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and on through verse 11. Then that begins the celebration of uh, Easter week. On Thursday evening, the 29th, we will have a service here at 630 And a representative from Israel, a a Jewish Christian, will be talking to us about the meaning of the Passover. He's a representative of Jews for Jesus. And so that will be at 6.30 on the 29th. The next night at 6.30, we'll have our annual Good Friday service. And then, of course, Sunday morning, both services as well as Sunday school. That's the celebration of Easter that is coming. I hope you'll be here for all of it. From servants to servants about the servant. That's the theme of our journey through Paul's epistle to the church in Philippi. From servants, Paul, along with his young friend Timothy, to servants, that is the believers at the church in Philippi, about the servant that is about Jesus. So stand with me as we read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit And of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And you may be seated. Servants in the church is the title of the message this morning. The epistle of Philippians written from prison in Rome by Paul to the believers in Philippi, a church deeply, deeply loved by Paul. Now, if you look at verse 1, you'll find that the first word is therefore. We know whenever we see the word therefore, it refers to whatever came just before it. So look at the preceding verses, chapter 1, verse 29, and recall, as we observed last Sunday, that Paul says, for it has been granted to you, or it has been graced to you. The word can be translated either way. It has been granted or graced to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for him. So Paul is letting the church in Philippi know, and us also, 
that we have been granted or, or graced to believe in Jesus and to suffer for Jesus. Therefore, there's the therefore, therefore, let's notice these things in the text this morning. First, remember the acts of the supernatural in our lives. Remember the acts of the supernatural in our lives. When we say the word supernatural, what comes to your mind? I I hope it's not ghosts. What I hope it is, is that the supernatural is the work of God that only He can do. And so this morning, I want us to remember the acts of the supernatural beginning with salvation. Salvation is a work of the supernatural. If any man, if any person be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Whoa, that is incredible. You and I, at the moment of salvation, are changed from the inside out. We are no longer who we used to be because of Jesus Christ. Your sin is forgiven. You have eternal life, including the promise of heaven as your eternal home. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, and you have the promise of a bodily resurrection. It is all stunning. And never forget that it is supernatural. It is a work of God that only He can do. How can we not be filled with joy and awe that results in what we've been doing this morning called worship? Well, here are the results of the acts of the supernatural in our lives. Or put a little bit less flamboyantly, here is a result of being a Christ follower, according to Paul, in this text. And the first result that he mentions in verse 1 is encouragement in unity with Christ. Encouragement in unity with Christ Notice he says after the therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. That little Greek word for if can also be translated since. So it can be translated therefore since you have encouragement from being united with Christ. We are United in Christ, we are one with Him. We are saved, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we're going to live forever. So I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged. Is that an understatement? Remember that Paul says we are graced, verse 29 and 30, the previous chapter, we are graced to believe and graced to suffer, but because I am one with Christ, I am encouraged. Because you are one with Christ, you are encouraged. We are encouraged by our unity with Jesus Christ. And therefore, my heart is lifted. My spirit soars. It's as if God Himself 
takes my face with both of his hands and turns my face upward so that I gaze right into his eyes. And as I look into his eyes, he kindly says to me, you are mine. And that is what he does with every single one of us. That, that, that encouragement in unity with Christ is reflected in you in so many ways. I want to just tell you, if you were here last Sunday, when all of those youth stood up here, 115, whatever it was that, 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 that they told us went, went to D now, and when you stood and applauded for those youth, I wasn't expecting that. They were not expecting that. You know, they know you not. They go to the other service. So unless you're related to them, they know you not. But when you stood and applauded, you said to them, we are one in Christ. And we support you. And we love you. And we encourage you. Thank you for doing that. And so we look at these acts of the supernatural and we find encouragement in unity with Christ. And and secondly, we find comfort from His love. Look again at verse 1. In the, the, the middle part of the verse, if or since, if or since any comfort from His love. Remember, He's writing to suffering people and suffering people need comfort. I, I remember from my childhood and I hope you had experiences like this and many of you did though I know some of you didn't but maybe I would come home from school one day and I was down in the dumps it hadn't been a good day I didn't do good at practice or I didn't make the best of grades or maybe I got in trouble broken record maybe I got in trouble and so I would come home and I'm down and mom's love somehow made it okay. Comfort that I needed. Now, dad, a little different. Maybe if I'm downcast, he says, buck up. You're fine. But even those words say, I have heard you. It's not the end of the world. Get back out there tomorrow. And so we find comfort from His love. Jesus Christ brings a comfort unlike any other. He's the one, Jesus is the one who said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus also said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then we remember the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. So what do we find? What are, are the results of this, these acts of the supernatural in our lives? First, encouragement in unity with Christ, comfort from His love, and thirdly, fellowship in the Spirit. Look again at the, at the next part of verse, of verse one. If any common sharing in the Spirit. Fellowship in the Spirit. I was reading, I read this week about something that happened in World War II. March 23rd, 1945, during one of the last major offenses, offenses in the European theater during World War II, General Eisenhower, General Dwight Eisenhower was walking with the troops near the Rhine River and he fell into step with a young infantryman and this young GI seemed depressed. And so Ike asked him, how are you feeling, son? And the, and the soldier responded, General, I'm awful nervous. I don't feel so good. And Eisenhower said, well, you and I are a good pair then because I'm nervous too. Maybe if we just walk along together to the river, we'll be good for each other. What a great response on the part of the general to reassure the heart of this young infantryman. And in Jesus, we find a sweet and comforting and encouraging fellowship in the spirit. The term common sharing comes from the Greek word Koine or koinonia, which we know means fellowship. Koine means common. And so koinonia, common sharing or fellowship in the spirit. There is a fellowship among believers. And you know it and you sense it every time you're with one another. The same Holy Spirit dwells in each of us and we are held together by the power of the Spirit centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about that fellowship with one another, I'm reminded of the little ditty that says, To live above with the saints we love, ah, that will be glory. To live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. But we also sing the song, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. And so we sense and know the fellowship that is ours in the spirit. And so the results of the supernatural work of God in our lives is encouragement in unity, comfort from His love, fellowship in the Spirit, and forth compassion and mercy from Christ Himself. Look at the last part of the first verse. If any, tenderness and compassion. Tenderness and compassion. We are recipients of the compassion of Jesus that results in the exercise of His mercy upon our lives. What we do not deserve, He gives to us. We have compassion 
and mercy from Christ. It's in us. It fills us. And so we are reminded to, to let it out, to let it out in your dealings with others. Give it away because you'll never run out of his compassion and of his mercy. So remember the supernatural acts of God in your life, encouragement in unity, comfort from his love, fellowship in the spirit and compassion and mercy from Christ himself. So after remembering all of that, then live in unity. Look at verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Live in unity. The thought of Paul's unity with the Philippian church brings joy to his heart. It, it makes his joy over Philippi complete whenever he thinks about them. Every thought about them brings him joy and encouragement. Their recent kind monetary gift was the reason he wrote the letter, Epaphroditus. Remember, we did this in chapter 1. Epaphroditus brought that monetary gift. And so Paul writes the thank you note known as Philippians to the church in Philippi. And so based on everything that has gone before us in this text, we are to live in unity. You can contrast that to the division-racked church in Corinth, if you've read First or Second Corinthians, it is tragic when a church is divided in itself. And Paul says, live in unity. We are like-minded with one another. For in the fifth verse that we'll get to on March 25th, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Love one another. A mark of the early church was how they loved one another. In fact, an early writing in the first century, speaking of Christians, said, My, how they love one another. And so we live in unity, having the same goals, the same mind, one mind in unity, and that is a great witness to the world. So we are to live in unity. But also as a result of all of that which Christ has done in our lives supernaturally, then verse 3 says, be humble. Look at, at verse 3 again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Be humble. In the Greek and Roman world, it would do us well to know that humility was not a word they used very often except in derision. Humility was not high on the list of attributes that Romans and Greeks thought valuable for their lives. Yet Paul begins verse 3 with a prohibition and follows it with a command. The prohibition is do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The command is rather in humility, value others above yourselves. The Bible has nothing good to say about human pride. We're to be humble and to value 
others above ourselves. Well, the early church fathers, Chrysostom, said, there is nothing so foreign to a Christian as arrogance. Then be humble. We are to live in unity. We are to be humble. And finally, the text tells us that we are to be focused on others. As a result of all that Jesus has done, the supernatural works of the Spirit in our lives, then we are to live in unity, we are to be humble, and we are to be focused on others. And outward focus, look at the way he says it in verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And outward focus, we center our lives on others. How can I serve others? It's, it's a distinguishing mark of some businesses to be other focused. And when you work with them or transact business with them, you can sense it immediately that as a customer, you are the most important person in all the world. You see it in restaurants. You see it in churches. You see it in many different spheres And you can feel it and you can sense it in your interaction with them immediately. This last week I had the privilege of taking a prospective student to the University of Mary Hardin-Baylor for a tour. And I want to tell you that's one of the places that I'm talking about. An extraordinary sense of that young student being the most important person in all the world and making that student feel very welcome and there's an atmosphere that you can feel. It it begins in the president's office and goes all across the campus. You can just feel this sense of other-centeredness. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. To be gospel-oriented is to be other-oriented. Somebody said the hardest instrument to play in an orchestra is second fiddle. Or, I guess to be a little more formal, second violin. And yet we're called to be other-focused. Verse 27 and 28 in chapter 1 is really Paul's, um, Paul's signature command. Look back at verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without fear. He says in these verses, stand firm in the face of the outward persecution that is going to come to you. And secondly, stand firm Together in the church, have a unified focus on the gospel, and this unity will show itself in our care and in our focus on others, counting them as more significant than ourselves. It is a neo-pagan idea that says we cannot love others until we first love ourselves. 
The Bible exalts and celebrates the fact that God loves us and gave His Son to die for us. And again, I'll read Romans 8.32 that I did in the prayer. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? There's no self-loathing called for or needed, but the sources of Paul's call to live lives worthy of the gospel through unity in the church and the outward focus on others is Christ Himself. All possible because we are in Christ, as it says in the very first verse of this chapter. So, What do we say to all of this? Remember the acts of the supernatural in your life. And the results of that are encouragement in unity, comfort from His love, fellowship in the Spirit, compassion and mercy from Christ. Then live in unity, then be humble, then be focused on others. And what a joy it will be for all of us to live according to the Word of God. Let's bow together for prayer. In a moment, we will stand and Brother Matt will lead us in our song of invitation. And this invitation is offered because in a room with this many people, there's someone who needs Jesus And if that person is you, then when we stand in a moment, I invite you to come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, share with you. And this morning, you can come into a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of us expressing this morning together our gratitude for the incredible work of transformation that Christ has done in our lives. Father, we are grateful. Now draw someone to yourself this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and as we sing.